0: Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Those seven pillars are courage, drive and accountability, can motivate others, has integrity, has grit, great communication skills, and has a high level of emotional intelligence. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experience to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For more information on the podcast or Talent 409, please visit talent409.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter, at ColinTalent409. The Dynamic Leaders Facebook group is also a great way to interact. Type in Dynamic Leaders in your search bar and ask for an invitation to this exclusive group full of leading professionals. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute. And on Apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating and review. Leaving a review really does help grow the show and helps other people find us. And as a bonus, if you leave a review, you'll get featured on the pod. We are doing a special Talent 409 swag bag giveaway during the month of April. I released a link on social media that has a link to about a five minute survey for the general audience to fill out, give me feedback tell me how the pod's going do you like it would you change anything i want to make this thing as good as possible for people and in order to do that i need your help and i would love if you could take five minutes to fill out this survey and as a bonus when you fill out the survey you'll be asked to put in your email and that way i can track who has filled it out for a contest where i'm going to give away a bunch of talent 409 swag what is that swag I don't know. I guess you'll have to enter the contest to find out. could be a boat. It could be some cool work materials. It could be anything that you imagine. But the only way you find out is by entering the survey, filling it out, sending it back, and you're in the contest. And thanks so much in advance for anyone who decides to do this. And if you're not on social media and you're listening and you want to be involved in the contest, just get in touch with me and I can send you the link via email, text, whatever we need to do. Today's guest on the pod is the fantastic Amanda Hughes. Amanda is a former college lacrosse player at Duke University. Go Blue Devils. She is currently in Syracuse, New York, owner of the ice cream stand, and leads Project November in Syracuse, New York. She's had an array of different experiences, both in athletics and in business, and we talk about the good, the bad, what her leadership experiences have been, how she's evolved as a leader over the years. I know you're going to learn a lot by listening to this episode. It was really exciting for me to get an opportunity to record with Amanda and I hope you enjoy what we put together. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, and let's jam with Velvet Revolver. <laughs> back to the podcast today. I have Amanda Hughes on the line with me. Amanda, welcome to the Dynamic Leaders podcast.
1: Hey, Colin. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. You are one of the first lacrosse players that I think I've had on. Uh, if I have, I've had uh, a male lacrosse player on in the past, but I haven't had a female lacrosse player. So you are the first you're starting a trend hopefully with <laughs> lacrosse players in the future but I want like to <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be a positive trend it's it's a good thing so but before we get too far away from everything I want to give you an opportunity to tell everybody who are you.
1: Well uh, I'm Definitely a work in progress, but I am thoroughly enjoying the adventure, and when I I talk about myself and my life, I guess that's really what it is and what it has been, an adventure. I was born and raised in Syracuse, was very fortunate uh, to attend Duke for undergrad, and later LIU Brooklyn for my MBA, and college uh, and Grad school was a time where I was, you know, away from Syracuse. I traveled quite a bit and still do. And recently, I guess maybe about four years ago now, moved back to Syracuse and have really kind of rooted myself here. But I've always, you know, loved traveling and experiencing everything that this world has to offer. So now I've taken what I've learned and what I've loved and uh, and, and trying to incorporate that here in uh, my hometown.
0: Talk us through that phrase, work in progress, something that always sticks out to me and it means, I think, different things to everybody. What's that mean for you at this point in your life?
1: Well, I, I always uh, speak about the journey I'm on and this um, evolution and I am definitely a learner you know, I clearly, I value education. Um, My dad was a teacher, and I really find myself curious about everything, wanting to know the why, and the how, and all of those good, good things. And so I see, you know, life and all of this as a a constant work in progress, or hopefully, you know, I I hope to always be learning and always be working on things. Uh, And at the same time, being present enough to enjoy where I am and the things I have and the things I'm doing right now. But I think that's part of the the joy is knowing that, you know, you're constantly kind of in this uh, state where you're working through things, constantly learning things. I mean, as you live, breathe, grow, you're experiencing different things at every phase of, of life. So naturally you're going to be learning things as you go.
0: Yeah, and I love how you said always be learning. That's actually one of the core values for my company. So anytime I hear that phrase, it really sticks out in my mind. And I love people who are like that. It just it shows that you know that you can always find different perspectives and learn, obviously, but you're not a finished product no matter where you are. And I think we'll probably hit on this a bunch of times throughout the course of our conversation today. But you've had a lot of different accomplishments, and just because you've gotten to those points doesn't mean that boom you know roll credits life's over that type of thing <laughs> so you know you have a lot of life ahead of, ahead of you still and i think it's just really unique cuz i don't think everybody sees life that way you know they see when they get to that finish line or to that goal and then the learning for lack of a better word or another type of thing that they could be doing it stops and so i do right. think it's unique and I'd love to get a better foundation of where that all came from, and I'd have to imagine a lot of it came from your athletic experience, and you mentioned you're very humble about being a former lacrosse player at Duke Division I school, but tell us a little bit about your athletic background, how you got to that point, and maybe some of the values and lessons that you learned along the way.
1: Wow, sure. Um, That was such an exciting time and feels so So long ago, but at the same time, you know, it feels just like yesterday and the lacrosse piece was something that was very unintentional and happened pretty late Um, when you think about how early kids start preparing and thinking about things like that. I didn't start playing until I was a freshman in high school and I didn't pick up a stick or do anything until the Friday before tryouts. Now, lacrosse was really not a thought, but my dad really tried to get me involved. He thought I would really enjoy it, thought I would do well with it. It took me a long time, and one day I just decided, yeah, you know, I think, I think I'll do it. And my best friend at the time uh, played on the team, and, you know, she helped me find a stick. We stayed after school in the gym, and she taught me a little bit about the basics, you know, catching and throwing. And, uh, and my dad was right. I really, really loved it. And because I loved it, I wanted to practice. And even though things came pretty naturally, I did invest a lot of time in practicing because it, it was really fun. And uh, I knew it was also a way to possibly get into a great college or university. And I was very lucky that that happened. I know that's not the case for everyone. And it's such a small percentage um, of people that do have the opportunity to play in college at any level. So that was really exciting and very interesting to think about, you know, how you spend so much time working for something and then it happens. And then especially for, you know, women's lacrosse, there's not a ton of playing time after that, certainly not professionally. So I knew going in was going to be a very finite time and I really just tried to enjoy everything about it. And all the opportunities that it it did provide because um, sports, you know, do provide a lot of opportunities to travel, to meet people, to learn um, and just experience a ton of things at such an important point in life. So uh, I really enjoyed that and then certainly took all of those lessons and those experiences and tried to apply those to the next chapter
0: So that's amazing. I didn't know that you took up lacrosse so late in your amateur life. But did you have, I mean, did you play any other sports before that? Or was it just, boom, pick up lacrosse stick, go to Duke and play Division I sports?
1: (laughs) It wasn't quite like that. Uh, But I I did play um, just about everything I could. I wanted to play hockey when I was younger, but there were no girls leagues. I played on a travel softball squad. I played soccer for years and years. And one thing I did about as soon as I could walk was run. And again, that was heavily influenced by my dad. Uh, He ran, he coached. And so I ran three seasons for the longest time. And part of why I decided to play lacrosse was because I think my softball coach thought I would play softball and my cross country and track Mm -hmm. coach thought I would continue running because I had been for years at that point. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to surprise everybody and I'm going to do this lacrosse thing (laughs) and see how that goes.
0: That's amazing. You don't hear about too many people that just pick up something so late in life. It actually reminds me of Patrick Corbin, who also played a couple other sports growing up, but picked up a baseball, I think around the time he's the same age as I am. So, the time we were sophomores in high school, and he just signed a ridiculous free agent contract to Major League Baseball as a pitcher. He's been an all star a couple of times and had a really great career so far. But it's just amazing to me to think that, you know, I was one of those people that was working at my craft since I was five years old. <laughs> and then somebody can just like yourself pick up a lacrosse stick one day. And I know it's not as simple as just picking up the stick and playing. You obviously worked at it and got better and improved and learned and took everything in that you could to get to that next level. But it is amazing to me to know that there are athletes out there that that 10,000 hour rule kind of speeds up for them and they're able to pick up things quicker and just take advantage of whatever situation there is. So that's really cool. And While you were at Duke, obviously, you had a lot of success, uh, at least from what I read. You went to four NCAA tournaments. You had four appearances and three Elite Eight appearances as well. So you got deep into some of those tournaments. And then I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about this. I read in one of your bios that in 2000, you were the recipient of the Karen M. Sutton Workhouse Award. What is that all about?
1: Well, I, I really appreciate the, appreciate the kind words, first of all, and it's exciting to think about how these small decisions can change the trajectory of, you know, your life. I thought I would run in college, you know, and that that was a big dream at that point. So to think about how this small decision changed the rest of my life, it's pretty incredible. And I mentioned before that lacrosse was fun. Sports was always fun and Although I didn't have to work as hard as I did, I really loved it. I loved the challenge and I just wanted to like we were talking about before, I wanted to learn, wanted to be better. And that drive and dedication and commitment and tenacity, I guess, is kind of wrapped up in, in that award. So I was very honored. And I had almost forgotten about that. Jeez, it's like I said, it feels like such a long time ago and some of these things, you know, until you're reminded you know, you forget some of the things that you have been through.
0: As I mentioned earlier, you're very humble about your (laughs) lacrosse career. (laughs) So take me a little bit deeper into the award. It's obviously, there takes a certain work ethic to be recognized to get something like that. And you're still at that point in your life, a young person trying to figure out things. You don't know what's coming next. Where do you think that work ethic came from? Like was it a combination of learning from your parents or from coaches or from friends even? Where do you think you developed that work ethic?
1: That is definitely something that was instilled in me by my family, you know, from my grandparents right on down the line. And something that I guess was a, a given, you know, you didn't question it. You just you had to work. I watched them work for things for everything that that we have and everything that we were able to do, you know, as a family, they worked very hard uh, for that. And what I didn't witness with my own eyes or ears, you know, I certainly heard about from them. They made a point to remind us and I'm really glad that they did, you know, it gave me a lot of perspective in life and I'm really grateful for those lessons and those conversations. And I think, well, like I keep saying, I just, I really, enjoyed that it's a way to almost well to honor you know yourself the sport your job whatever it is but it's a way to really honor um, that act and everyone that's been a part of that journey with you and everyone that's come before and you know setting the tone for every everyone or everything that will come after you and I think you know we're talking about stepping into a situation like like D one athletics and, and playing lacrosse at Duke well everyone on that team was an all-star, you know, and you, you come into a program like that and, you know, everyone, all your teammates were the best of the best of the best and really learned to compete even more at practice. And you really had to work even harder for the things that you wanted and, you know, to be a part of that and to contribute. And regardless of how much playing time you saw, you know, the team is all you have and your teammates don't get better. You don't get better. If you're not challenged, if you're not challenging them. And that was really important to me. I mean, you're on a team and that's, that's how you contribute. That's, you know, again, how you honor the sport. And I I talk about that. My lacrosse coach uh, in high school, Cindy Wetmore, she's a hall of famer and an amazing, amazing human and such an incredible role model. She also was a big part of that. You know, we worked very hard um, as a team in high school. It was nice to be able to continue all of that, you know, in college.
0: Now, one of the last points I want to make about your lacrosse career before we get to the next phase in your life, you alluded to this a little bit earlier. So in lacrosse, not just women's lacrosse, but even men's lacrosse, there isn't a lot of money to be made at the next level. When you got to the collegiate level, what was knowing that, you know, for a lot of people like if you're in football or you're in basketball, like you're playing for that dream still, right? You want to make it to the NBA, you want to make it to the NFL, Major League Baseball for baseball players and different things like that. So you you have something in addition to just playing for your teammates and playing for your school and for your community. Do you think it was more difficult for you to get amped up knowing that, like you said, that the end was going to be the end for you. There really wasn't going to be another opportunity. Or do you think that you thrived in that, just knowing that you could leave it all out there on the field and know, ha- have no regrets or something like that? What were your thoughts? Did you ever think that while you were playing?
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's obvious that you know the reality is, like you said, uh, the lacrosse career doesn't ex- extend much beyond college now I did have an opportunity to play and I still try to in tournaments all over that are very competitive and again allow me to continue to travel and see and do all these sorts of things but when you're in it nothing feels bigger or more important and you're not exactly thinking about this could be the end you're just you're wrapped up in those moments but it was very easy to enjoy and appreciate and never struggle to get excited about the moment and you know or the game it was all just so incredible i think i just always been pretty grateful i think people think that it's difficult and they kind of say they understand but i don't know that people really realize the minute percentage of people that have an opportunity like i said to play at any level it's really something special and because of the coaches I had, the family I had, the friends I had, I never forgot that. So that really allowed me to, to just enjoy everything. Um, And it, it was, it was a blast.
0: That's awesome. So you have a great support staff. It seems like not only your family, your friends, and really helped motivate you up through that point in your life. So you get to graduation day. Tell us what's going through your head what, what happens next for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one of the most interesting things that I came to learn about this whole experience was, you know, so much of my life at that point was, well, you're going to go to college and or where are you going to go to college? And, you know, you're working so hard in school, academically and athletically for this one thing. And I never really thought about what happened after, you know, of course, you know, you'll get a job, you know, but what's that job going to be? And how do you go about finding out what it is you want to do? You know, and these were things I realized I didn't take advantage uh, of the resources that were available, especially at an institution like Duke. And I also was reflecting and realized people didn't really talk to me about that or ask me about that. It was kind of like, so much effort to get to this one point and then, okay, we did it. Check that off the list. Now what? And it wasn't until after graduation that I really started thinking about, you know, what I was going to do. I realized I had planned and prepared so much for this thing, uh, you know, college and now it was here and now it was done. And now what, you know, I had to really, Reevaluate. Uh, you know, we talked about that transition. That's uh, challenging for loads of different reasons. And losing sports or having that be a smaller part of my life was difficult uh, and sad, sure. But I was also trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do next. And, you know, that wasn't unique to me. I think a lot of people obviously experienced that. But that was something that I really struggled with. I felt like a lot of people at Duke, knew what they were going to do. And I didn't. And that caused me a lot of stress and anxiety, I guess, because I felt like, geez, am I the only one who doesn't know, you know, or doesn't have it figured out? And then I realized that was okay. And, and I would, and, you know, to some extent, I'm, I'm still doing that. (laughs) Sure. Figuring it out.
0: So let me ask you this. You mentioned how And maybe this was just in the realm of your lacrosse team or even your closest friends at Duke. You mentioned how it seemed like they had everything figured out for the next step. And it kind of seemed like you were the only one that didn't. And that was frustrating you. And that was giving you a lot of bad feelings. Now that you can reflect on it a little bit more, I'm interested maybe with the people that you've kept in touch with over the years. Do you think that they actually had it as figured out as you thought at the time, or was it one of those things where maybe they were just better at putting up a good face about it or a good attitude about it than you were?
1: <laughs> I think at least half of them did have it figured out. And certainly that evolves and, you know, changes, you know, we modify things as we go, and we learn, but I think, I think they really did know. And I think, you know, maybe they had more help. Maybe they just thought about it a little bit more than I did. I was really wrapped up in Duke and in uh, school and definitely in lacrosse. And I was just really happy where I was, I guess. And maybe part of me didn't want to leave that setting and that time in my life. And maybe that's a reason I didn't think about the future too much or what I was going to do next, because I was really enjoying where I was.
0: Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of us, I know my wife, I'm hoping now that her time with me is starting to eclipse her time at college. But when we first met, she said that there was no better time for her than when she was at Syracuse University. And and I think that it happens to a lot of people. And unfortunately with college, it's not like one of those things where if it is a job, like you could maybe move up the ladder in the company. Like you can find ways to keep continuing to work somewhere if there's a place that you really like. Whereas with college, it's like, well, you could stay at Duke, but you got to keep paying, you know, what, $50,000 a semester. And and, uh, and you only can, I mean, I guess you could go to school forever, but realistically, it kind of ends after that, you know, four or five years, whatever it is for undergraduate these days. So I don't think that you're alone and... I don't think it's necessarily even wrong that you had those feelings, but what I'm interested to learn a little bit more about is you mentioned that, you know, even being so involved as you were and being really enjoying Duke and the university and obviously the lacrosse team, but you mentioned that there were some resources within the school that potentially could have helped maybe jumpstart you a little bit more once you got out of school and you graduated. What were some of those resources that maybe you overlooked? And if you could talk to a college junior or college senior these days, what are some pieces of advice that you would give them to maybe help ease that transition period a little bit?
1: Sure. Well, I think the career services and just your advisors and, and, you know, maybe this was just me, but, you know, I met with them when we had to, but I really didn't engage with them the way that, you know, I could have. And I talked about, I ask a lot of questions and this was one group of people that I didn't ask a lot of questions uh, to. And, you know, that's something that, that could have really helped guide me uh, earlier, but maybe, you know, it was simply because I had to find my own path, you know, and things had to unfold as they did. But, Every uh, institution of higher education has so many resources, and I would just encourage people to dive right in and learn what they are, explore, and just really talk to people and ask those questions you know, while they're there, because they're phenomenal resources, and they're, they're there to help and guide, and I don't think enough of the student body you know, utilizes them.
0: So an extension to that question, I think would be, what would you say to somebody who was in your shoes, was in my shoes? I also probably didn't take advantage of career services as much as I could have. I don't know that it put me behind the eight ball when I was out of school, but I was struggling. It was challenging. I was coming out of school when the recession was really strong here in the in the country. So I had that as well, the economic challenges of everything but what would you say to somebody who is already graduated can't turn back the clock can't use those resources in the same way that they could have when they were in school how do you start to find yourself like what was your process for trying to figure things out once you realize that hey this is real i got to do something let's get going
1: right and uh, the reality is that you you can still use those resources as an alum and they may look different than when you were a student, but you can always reach out. And that's the great thing about, you know, that network is that you, you can go back and you can still talk to people, but I think paying attention to, you know, the things that you really enjoy, the things that move you and that matter and exploring those areas and talking to people, you know, who are doing those things that you admire that you enjoy and you know, asking them questions, taking the time to you know allow yourself to do more of those things is really important. And you know, it it will come. I was never really nervous about finding my way. Um, I think some of the stress was because I felt like I had to. And I think maybe you know, you and I we were also coming up in this in a different model. And I think students now, um, you know, growing up in the culture and the resources that they have available—you know—they're they're learning different lessons and they're being taught um, and they're operating in a different model, which I think is really exciting. And there aren't some of—you know—they're not as stressed. Um, they are naturally gravitating towards things that make them happy, things that they want to do. They're using their voice. They're doing things that you know, are breaking the mold. And I think that's because that, you know, some of those molds have been shattered. And so it's almost easier. They have some flexibility and some freedom that maybe we felt, or at least I felt maybe uncomfortable or um, was challenging at times because you felt like you had to do certain things or you should be doing certain things and doing them a certain way. I think maybe students now don't have as much fear about doing things their own way and I think that's really great.
0: Are you an all or nothing person? Do you find you're either on or off the health and fitness wagon? Sweat with Stads has a program that helps you turn habits and fitness into a lifestyle. Healthy Habits is a program designed to help you make lasting incremental changes in your life that culminate into six new healthy habits. No working out required. With a few intentional minutes every day, you can have a huge impact on your health and life. This program focuses on water intake, steps per day, veggie intake, meditation, gratitude, and stretching. Six habits that will help you look and feel your best. And my listeners get a discount. Head to sweatwithstuds.com and enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout for $10 off this program. I've done this program, and one of the best things that came from it for me was to incorporate stretching and meditation into my daily routine. It does work. It's not an overnight process, but it's easy. It's incremental, and you should really give it a try. And now back to the pod. Let's say we take a look at your LinkedIn profile, for example, today. What's going to pop up is your business owner. And for a lot of people, when they see that, all they think about is, oh, okay, she's made it. She's successful. How do I get there? But I think what gets lost, and I know we've kind of talked about this offline before, what gets lost is not only the hard work that goes into entrepreneurship, but also the fact that just because you have what you have right now, again, doesn't mean that you're done. You're still trying to figure things out, you're still looking to grow and evolve and use the different platforms that you've developed as an entrepreneur to make your life better, to make your community better. Tell us a little bit about some of the endeavors that you've had over the course of your career, how you got the ideas for them. I know there's a few different things that you're working on currently, but I would just love to be able to get a little bit more insight and share with the audience about how you got to where you are now so that people don't think that you just flipped a switch and all of a sudden became an owner of an ice cream stand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is a little bit of how it happened. Uh, <laughs> no, well, right out of school, uh, I ended up working for a CPA firm. So it was, you know, pretty structured, very corporate. I was making good money, checking these boxes. But uh, and even though it was a great group, I found myself spending more and more time coaching. So I was also asked to start the first varsity team at a school in North Carolina. And that was really exciting. And even though it wasn't paying me uh, very much money at all, not enough to live on, I was spending more and more time doing that. And I thought, geez, I really need to explore this because it's making me really happy. I'm feeling good about it. I feel like I could be very good with this. And So I I left the CPA firm and uh, started exploring coaching opportunities. I had a chance to do some sales and marketing and a little bit of coaching at a place called Velocity Sports Performance. And that was how I found out about a position that was opening up at Davidson College with the women's lacrosse team. I had an opportunity to be an assistant there and like I said was was really loving it and realized that I could use coaching as a way to also earn you know a master's degree and ended up at LIU uh, in Brooklyn for that and it was important for me that period because uh, I didn't want to be pigeonholed I had been coaching for a while and I wanted to transition to the other side of sports so it was really important to me to use that time uh, in grad school to refine those skills, look for job opportunities, use those resources that I felt like I didn't take advantage of in undergrad. And I did. I ended up getting a great internship with Madison Square Garden. I absolutely loved it and was able to come back and work there for a little bit. After I graduated, I ended up, you know, if we fast forward and I ended up, coming uh, back home to Syracuse and this opportunity kind of fell into my lap and I was smart enough to say yes, I could do ice cream. I have a business background, uh, econ sociology and, and my family uh, has a lot of experience with food. So it was this really beautiful pairing of you know this academic background and then these personal passions and things I felt really connected to. I thought, this is just the perfect opportunity. I'm going to go all in. I never dreamed about opening an ice cream stand, but like I said, it was about the opportunity and the fact that I felt really prepared to do this and I I felt like I could do it well and also that it would be really fun and that's so important to me. (laughs) So I said yes and I learned everything that I could before I opened and I'm still scrambling to learn you know, everything else there is to learn <laughs> about the business, but it's been really rewarding. So like you said, it didn't just happen overnight. It was a journey that involved learning about myself, all these things that made me happy, certainly learning the skills, professional skills to be able to run a sustainable business. And now here we are going on year number four.
0: Congratulations. That's <laughs> awesome. And When you get nice weather in Syracuse, people flock to ice cream stand. So it's got to be really exciting when, (laughs) you know, the weather gets nice and people are coming out. And I imagine that's probably one of the more fun things about your job.
1: It is. People always comment. I mean, I'm smiling and happy and uh, I love to laugh. So, you know, it's not unusual for me to be smiling, but people always comment, you know, they get up to the counter like, geez, you know, the line could be out the door and, they say, you're still smiling. And I think, <laughs> well, you know, I'm serving ice cream here. You know, that, no one's having more fun than I am. But yeah, it, it is. And Syracuse has great ice cream. And what's cool about Syracuse, we do have this, you know, I'll say brutal winter. It's beautiful and it's fantastic and it's beautiful, but, you know, it's it's tough. And when that breaks, you know, what I love about Syracuse is that people come out and they don't waste a second of the warm weather. You know, there's all sorts of activity. People are really happy and they're definitely indulging in ice cream. And I'm so glad that I'm able to be there and help them with that.
0: So you talked about how one of the big factors in determining that you wanted to open up an ice cream stand specifically was because you found the concept of doing it to be fun. And you just highlighted some of the great things about your business and about the job and your day-to-day responsibilities. Being a business owner can obviously be challenging as well. And you don't need to give us any horror stories by any means, (laughs) but... I'd be interested if you could give the audience just a little bit of background and insight into some of the challenges, whether they were things you anticipated going into the venture or something that came out of nowhere, and you had to pick up a new skill or learn something in order to make yourself better and to, like you said before, sustain the business for the long term.
1: There are a ton of challenges, uh, obviously, with having your own business, and I think the the biggest blessing, but also curse is everything falls on you at the end of the day. You can have a lot of help, but it's yours. If it doesn't get done, if something's wrong, when things go well, all of it comes back to you. And, you know, with ice cream, there's a lot to learn about food, which, you know, growing up in my family, I I knew uh, my dad had a restaurant for years and years. And so I do understand, you know, food service and some of the challenges and things that you need to be mindful of there. But ice cream, you know, the equipment, the machines, there was this real technical component that I I had to learn, you know, how to assemble, how to disassemble, clean them regularly. You know, if they're making this sound, what does that mean? Is that the compressor? Is that, you know, and there are all these things that I just never dreamed I would know how to do or, or have to know how to do. But I know them now. And that makes me laugh. But I distinctly remember at our original location, I was there, well, a couple times. <laughs> when um, I was there late at night, I was closing all by myself and it was taking me forever. This machine was giving me a lot of trouble. And then I heard some gurgling and the pipe had backed up the neighboring business had an issue and, you know, it wasn't even anything related to us, but everything was connected. And so I was seeing water come up through the drain and start to flood my floors. And this was probably around midnight, close to one in the morning. You know, I have to drop, drop everything and start tackling that. I finally get everything cleaned up. I'm so excited. I clean myself up. I get back to cleaning the machines. And don't you know that happens again? (laughs) So that made for a really late night. It's just, you never know. And especially with the service industry, you're not just dealing with equipment and inventory and all these things. You're also dealing with people and your team and certainly the public. And I think one of the, the biggest challenges at times is not taking things personally. You know, people come in and They have a lot of things that they think will be helpful to share or that they feel compelled to share. And sometimes, you know, they're just having a bad day and that can be tough for, you know, the team and certainly, you know, tough to, to absorb, you know, myself, but it's all part of the territory.
0: Yeah. And I can certainly relate to that being in the service industry in the past myself. And actually that was what I would tell new people who came on that I was training I I said I know it's going to be hard but you can't take things personally because if you do you're you're just not going to make it in the service industry you can't control how people are going to feel or how they're going to react I mean you can to a certain extent but some people like you said they're just having a bad day and they're going to be rude to you no matter how nice you are at the end of the day you got to be okay with that otherwise you're not going to end up surviving so I mean that's just coming from an employee perspective. You know, I'm sure it's even magnified coming from your perspective and being the business owner in the face of the business. So, can definitely relate. I know it's probably a challenge, but it's also probably really rewarding when you, you know, get those compliments out of nowhere or, you know, somebody comes in, they're like, you know, where'd you hear about us? And they say, oh, well, our friends told us and we came, you know, all the way from Watertown or something like that. You know, it's, there's got to be both sides that really just keep you going on a daily basis.
1: That is definitely the truth. And, you know, it's an opportunity, you know, to come back and really make sure that I have clarity on what I'm doing and that I stay grounded and focused because I really welcome all of that. I mean, that's those moments, those really tough moments are really great opportunities for me to learn and for me to grow So as difficult as they are, you know, I, I always tell people I do welcome them and I, I thank them, you know, it takes a lot and sometimes you're right. They, they might just be really upset, but it takes a lot for people to, to share things and good and bad. So I try to always thank them for sharing. And it's the balance of, you know, staying in your center and holding true to what, you want to do and what you feel good about and your mission and values with the business. And then also honoring and acknowledging what this other person is experiencing because it matters and it matters to them. So that is, uh, like I said, it's tough, but it's really worthwhile experiences as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think your perspective just comes from, uh, bunch of different experiences and it shows how confident you are in yourself and as a business owner. So I want to acknowledge you for that. And as we move on here into the next phase of the podcast, with our guests, we like to talk about some of the leadership pillars that we talk about with my business and just in general on this podcast. And you've identified a few that you wanted to give your expertise on and Your insight on to the audience today. So let's start with the pillar courage. What does that word mean to you? How do you use it in your work and in your life? Give us your expertise.
1: Gosh, I love, I love courage and people display courage in so many different ways. It's really astounding and so interesting to see. And I think, you know, people always told me, Oh, you're so lucky or, you know, you fall into this or do, but I think what they were really saying is that, wow, you are courageous. You know, I wasn't afraid to step into some of these situations. I wasn't afraid to go for it when maybe they would have been, I talk a lot about saying yes. I, I said yes to a lot of things when I know people were afraid or would have said no I said, yes, when I didn't know the answers, you know, would you like to start an ice cream business? Could you do? Yes. You know, (laughs) when Madison square garden asked me if I knew anything about graphic design or Photoshop, I said, yes. And then I learned everything. And then I ended up doing some design for them. And, you know, I knew nothing about it before, but I said, yes. And I guess maybe like you said, I, I had faith in myself that I could learn these things What I've learned a lot later in life is also how to say no, because that's important too. Uh, So yeah, I think that's how I've been lucky or stumbled into some of these opportunities, as people like to tell me. But it comes from having the courage to let go, to say yes, to say no. I've left jobs without having. uh, In fact, I think every time I left a job, I did not have another one lined up. And that is... Really terrifying for a lot of people. But I knew the only way I was going to find that next piece was if I let go of what I currently had. That's kind of how I see courage and I use that myself and um, in, in my life.
0: Yeah, I think that's beautiful the way that you laid that all out. And I really appreciate the part where you talked about saying yes, but also having the confidence to say no, because I think where people could fall off a cliff when they're being too courageous is if they just keep saying yes to everything and there's no purpose behind it. What it seems like from, at least from what I'm hearing, when you said yes to particular opportunities or to learn new skills or whatever it is, there was a specific purpose. And maybe it wasn't so specific that it was like, okay, I'm going to be using this graphic design in my ice cream business one day. But you knew that that was a transferable skill and something that you could learn that would help you in the future. So I love that you pointed out both sides to that because I think it's really easy. I don't want to say it's easy, but I think if we're always saying yes, courage can look like a whole different thing because then you're just leading yourself down a path where you're looking at burnout. You're looking at trying to do too many things and not being able to give yourself fully to one or two things. And that's just a whole other problem that I personally don't think is worth the time or the effort or the the headaches that might come from it. So I love that, you know, you've been able to identify that and be able to work your way through life knowing, yes, I need to be courageous and say yes to certain things, but also know when to say no. Is there like, sorry, go ahead.
1: I'll add to that, that in knowing when to say yes and, and the why I said yes was for me. I think you can get into trouble, you know, when you're saying yes for other people. But the things I said yes, I said yes to conjured up like so much joy and excitement that I I couldn't say no. You know, it was almost an instinctual. It came up and out of me. Yes, they brought excitement to me and a lot of positive feelings. So I was saying yes and saying yes for me because I wanted to do it and it would make me happy or I was really curious about it. You know, or it sounded really fun, whatever it was. I think the important thing was that I knew it was for me. And whether or not I'd be doing it for life or for five minutes or whether or not I would make money off of it, a lot of what I said yes to I did because it felt right. I was trusting my gut, my intuition, whatever you want to call it, and I was doing it for me.
0: And that was exactly the question I was going to ask you, so I'm glad you went there. great. <laughs> oh. Yes. And the second pillar that you had identified that you wanted to talk about was emotional intelligence is something that probably wasn't on my radar, even uh, as much as two or three years ago. And it's something that I take very seriously now. And it's something that I'm always on the lookout when I'm working with teams and organizations, whatever it is. What about emotional intelligence stands out to you? Why was it important to highlight that in today's conversation?
1: Well, I think that's something that people are are uncovering and talking about a lot more today, which is really exciting. You know, because there are other components to success. And it's not just, you know, IQ or your, your knowledge about this skills. There's, you know, there are other elements to it. And I think... This was something that kind of I kind of connected with without really realizing what it was or talking about it until, you know later in life. And I, I'm actually working with a, a business coach at the moment. and this is something, you know, we've read a book on emotional intelligence and that, that we talk about. So this was something that was kind of at the forefront of my brain. And I think it's a, an important piece. and you know it's about the communication, I guess, between that rational brain and then the source of your emotional brain, I guess, and being able to, to filter those and communicate between the two.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that we talked about it in the service industry, how it's really easy to identify that you're working with people, but you're also working for people. You're interacting with people. It's like a very intimate thing because you're face-to-face, you know, there's exchanging money, like you're you're just really close in, in person, whereas a lot of transactions in business today are done through a computer, done over the phone and something like that. And that human element just gets taken out of so much. So, you know, for me, I've kind of been spoiled throughout my working career because I was in the service industry and then I was in HR and recruiting. And so I've always been around people and people have always been the forefront of The successes I've had, the challenges that I've faced on a daily basis, but I think more and more in other parts of the working world and other things that people are doing, they're just realizing that the human element is still important. Even though we have all this data, we have computers that can do so much for us. If you leave out that human element, then you're really missing an opportunity to connect and build relationships and things along those lines.
1: Exactly. You said the magic word connect. And anytime you can make a a connection, you know, a real touch point, that's when you get the relationship building and just the connection that will keep people coming back, that will allow them to feel close. Those are positive associations for people. And I talk to my team about, I try to empower them, of course. And we talk a lot about how they have the power to really change someone's day. And uh, I try to go over scenarios and describe in different ways, you know, what that might look like. But it's so important, obviously. And I think ice cream is special and unique in that it's such a celebrated treat. It's very much a a reward in our, our culture. People are celebrating You know, all sorts of things and, you know, first dates, straight A's, a a victory, you know, with the sports team, whatever it is, or people are having a really tough day and they come in, you know, to be able to connect with them in that moment too and and turn their day around is really important. So having that emotional intelligence and being aware of, you know, more of the whole picture and what's really going on and being able to, like I said, filter that through is really next level stuff. I mean, that, that'll really um, change and make an impact on, on someone.
0: Yeah. I love that. I'd love to hear real quickly. You mentioned that you have a business coach. I also have a business coach. I don't actually hear many people talk about that. They have a business coach or that they're working with one or that they want to work with one. I don't want to say it's like a taboo thing in the entrepreneurial world, but I do think in some ways, it people may think that it shows weakness in one way or another. And you don't need to be an entrepreneur, I don't think, to have a business coach. Like They're just there to help you continue to grow and, and develop and, and be a guide to enhance some of those things. What about it for you has been maybe the biggest thing that you've learned or the biggest thing that you've taken from the experience working with a business coach?
1: Wow, there's just been so much. And honestly, he's probably one of the biggest influencers in my life lately. Michael Scrow, I want to give him a a little shout out now. And he has (laughs) uh, leadership coaching. What I've really learned is more about my leadership style. And what I've learned is how, yes, the way I function, um, you know, can be a really big asset, but the skills I have, my biggest strengths, so to speak, are not always the tools that I need to use to solve, you know, every problem. And I realized that that's something I was trying to do a lot of the time. I need to reach for another tool. So that was really eye-opening, which you know, um, is not always comfortable because it's not part of my natural style, but it's important, you know, to learn and to be able to function and deliver these, you know, these different skills and problem solving techniques and, you know, styles of communication. It's all wrapped up. Obviously we see different types of leaders and you can be a successful leader with very different styles. But I think the most successful leaders also understand, you know, these other aspects of leadership, other ways to lead, and they're able to tap into those skills and use them when they're needed or when their natural style maybe isn't going to serve them the best.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that you found somebody that can help highlight some of those things for you. And it's not that you didn't know them, but it seems like, you know, working with a business coach, and this is what's happened for me too, has just been able to speed up the process for me <laughs> and say like, hey, you're, you're better at doing this than you thought you were. Or, hey, you need a little bit more work here. And it's nice having that objective person who can see things from a, a bigger vantage point and help you break it down and work through some of those things.
1: It's been really eye-opening. And I mean, we, we can't do it alone, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we need help. And, you know, I spend a lot of time training my team and working with my team and being a mentor to the best of my ability, but I need someone um, so that I can continue doing that. And so that I can grow and be even better in that role. And that's where, you know, Mike comes in and it's just been really, really eye opening, And I feel like He's helped me be more efficient with things and helped me implement um, some systems, which are really the foundation of any great business. You know, so it frees me up to do uh, even more or more things that I enjoy doing.
0: In addition to your business coach and your journey to always be learning the audience, I like to have them hear from our guests where they consume their content. Can you tell us maybe like one or two books or podcasts that have really been influential in your life. If maybe somebody in the audience is looking for a place to start and enhance their leadership journey or their entrepreneurship journey, do you have a couple recommendations that you can give us?
1: Oh my gosh. I'm always reading, you know, like three, four books at a time. (laughs) I'll tell you my favorite go-to right now has been Brene Brown. I'm reading Rising Strong right now. And I'm trying desperately to finish that one because I got her uh, dare to lead for Christmas. And I really want to start that. But for me, uh, what she writes about, you know, she kind of blends these two worlds, this academic, you know, research, scientific base with these things that are a little less tangible and arguably harder to measure and quantify, you know, like emotions, like fear and courage and shame and all of these feelings. Uh, so that is really interesting to me. Um, and that's what I'm reading, uh, right now.
0: Yeah. I actually got her book also for Christmas, the other book that you mentioned. So <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I need to get around to it as well. I've been, yeah, you know, I have my pile of books too. I'm always, I feel like I'm always reading multiple books or articles or listening to multiple podcasts and, sometimes it can be a challenge to juggle, but I got a uh, beach vacation coming up soon that I think I'm going to bring it out onto the beach and read it. There is what my plan is with it. So (laughs)
1: yeah, I'm so, I'm so visual and I really, I've always enjoyed reading uh, even, you know, when I was in grad school and I was required to read certain books for coursework, I was also reading on top of that, you know, for pleasure and, I just, I love to hold the book in my hand. You know, I love how they smell. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm getting into podcasts a little bit more, but my go-to is music. So if I'm, you know, listening to something, it's usually music. And I guess I just need to create a new habit and add that, you know, into my routine. Because right now when I reach for music, I'm in the car or at work or anything, I'll, I'll put on music instead of, a podcast, but music is very calming, very soothing, you know, for me. So I'm I'm usually always listening to music in the background.
0: Yeah, I mean I can totally relate. It it actually took me forever to transition over to podcasts as well for music just because I've loved it for so long and I still do listen to it a lot, especially while I'm working during the day. I always have it playing in the background, but my shameless plug to you, if you're looking to build that habit is just continue to download my episodes and maybe you'll start to enjoy podcasts a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Well, I have enjoyed your podcast, so I will continue to, uh, you know, listen to, because you have some great guests I've I've really enjoyed. And, you know, a, a few of my dear friends do have podcasts. So yes, I really have an easy place to start. You know, to start and, and get into this whole world, which is exciting.
0: Yes. And thank you for the compliment as well. I want to give you an opportunity for a couple things here. You mentioned Mike as being somebody who's an influencer in your life. I always like to give the guests an opportunity to shout out somebody that they believe is a dynamic leader in their life. Is there someone else that you want to shout out today quickly that really stands out to you?
1: Gosh, well, I he actually was the person I, I wanted to shout out. And, okay, uh, it was just such a natural segue when we were talking about coaching and emotional intelligence. But of course, my family's amazing. Uh, my parents, and my mom, and my dad have you know helped me a- and been there through so many things. And my coaches and all of these amazing people. But what I really Love and I've been thinking a lot about it a lot more lately. Are the people that I surround myself with every day? Um, I just, you know, they're incredible humans, and I'm always amazed and inspired by them. So, I guess, new shout out I will mention my core uh, group of girlfriends, and I won't name them all, but they definitely know who they are. They are powerful beings, and I'm so grateful for them. And that's something that uh, has influenced me a lot more later in life, being surrounded by these amazing women. And then, like I said, I, I definitely appreciate, appreciate uh, the work I've been able to do with, with Mike Scro and just a friendship that we have, again, just an outstanding human and someone who's really, really contributing to the Syracuse community and beyond, you know, in a really meaningful, positive way, which I just, I love.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of amazing things about his work. I've seen a couple uh, mutual people that we know and some friends that I've had who've interacted with him in one way or another. And I know he's doing a lot of great work for the Syracuse community and as you are yourself. And with that, before we let you go, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about what's going on with the ice cream stand this year. I imagine opening days coming soon for the season. Tell us a little bit about what's going on.
1: Well, uh, yeah, we will be reopening on Wednesday, March 27th, so very soon. We'll be resuming our stand-up at the stand, which is free comedy. We'll definitely have K. Mason Cones, which is our live uh, local music series. And then, you know, some more things sprinkled throughout the season. I would definitely encourage anyone interested to follow along on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to see uh, what the ice cream stand is up to and sharing because it's constantly changing and we're always communicating events and specials and things. So stay tuned. And you can always find me every Wednesday morning at 6.15 a.m. at the Water Tower at Thornton Park doing November Project Syracuse. That's another amazing group of people coming together every week, having a lot of fun. And uh, putting in some real work. So if you feel like moving your body and getting a good good sweat in, you can uh, definitely join November Project Syracuse.
0: That's awesome. And we'll put all of that information for the ice cream stand and for the November Project in the show notes. So if people need a quick reference or want to check things out, get in contact with you, whatever it is, it'll be really easy for them to reference all that in the show notes as well. Amanda, this has been such an amazing conversation. You are an awesome, dynamic leader. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to chat with me and to share your story with the audience. And I can't wait to, uh, we're, my wife and I were coming back to Syracuse uh, for a week in June. Uh, so shout out to everybody in Syracuse who didn't know that, now you know. Uh, but we're we're coming back to Syracuse for a week in June to visit, and I'm definitely going to drop by for at least one cone, if not more, <laughs> and uh, um, <laughs> can't wait to interact with you at that point as well.
1: Gosh, well, that will be amazing. I will definitely prep the team. Can't wait to see both of you, and thank you so, so much. This was a real treat. I talk a lot about using my voice, so I'm very grateful and honored that I had the opportunity to use it in such a way today. A lot of fun. Um, Keep up the good work and just thank you so much for letting me be a part of this.
0: Who, baby. What a great episode that was. Amanda is awesome. So glad that we got her on the pod to share her story, her experiences and her expertise. Check out all the links in the show notes. If you want to learn more about Amanda and the great things that she's doing Thanks again to our sponsor, Sweat with Studs, And as always, thanks to you, the listeners, for taking time out of your busy day to listen to us. Don't forget, if you want an opportunity to win that swag bag from Talent409, fill out the podcast survey, which is in the show notes, and you can find all over social media. We are back next week with another guest. Stay tuned for that.